There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Suck it! Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out Live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Logan Murdoch here, Roger Bell there. Real ones, Roger. Our next guest is a Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it. And apparently, Roger, she was born ready. You know who we got in the building? Tell me who we got, Logan. Who we got in the building, Logan? An Icons Club member of her own, just mm-hmm. her own club. Just put her right there. Auntie Jackie Mac is here. Hi, Auntie Jackie. How you doing? Hi, how are you, Logan? Hello, Mr. Bell. How are it's you, Jack? It's been a it's while. A yes, it has, dear. Yes, it has. <laughs> Yo, All good. Hey, man. Roger, hmm. she was on your head at pre-pod. She was, she was ready to tear your head off, dog. She was ready. No. She came in locked and loaded no, no, for Thursday. No, 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 no. Not on my head. Hey, see, hey, hey, see you haven't been, you're too wet behind the ears, bro. You still got mm. that simulac. Like, that was love. That's only love that can be teased with one another from a lifetime of being in locker rooms and being around the vibe. Like, you still wet behind the ears, Logan. That was love. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what that was. Raj and That's I go way back. Way, way back. We way did. back. Jackie, you was call, the first time you met hey, you call me. You, you call me Uncle Rara, Logan. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you the big homie. You the big homie. You not, you not Uncle yet. All right. Uh, well, Jackie, what was the first time you met Roger? Do you remember the the first time? Was it a was it a locker room when he was with the, when he was struggling with the Sixers trying to just make ends meet, or was it you know maybe when he was with the Suns just being a superstar? No, it was before the Suns, way before that. But I can't I can't really tell you. I'll tell you why I remembered Roger though. Um, I could have forecasted he'd be in this business because 
you know, and you know this, Logan, even if you are wet behind the ears, I'll go along with Raj <laughs> a little bit. But, but you know, after a bad loss or a bad day, and you know in the locker room who's going to be real with you, who's going to tell you the truth. And that was Rajam. And it didn't matter his status when he was struggling or when he was a star. He just was fairly transparent. So always appreciated that for real. I appreciate that. I, um, you know, it costs me sometimes. It does. <laughs> it always it does. does. It yeah. does. But, uh, you know, I always found an appreciation. Like I, I always, I've told this before, like I always, for one reason or another, appreciated the job um, that media had to do. And I always kind of enjoyed watching them go about their business in a locker room, you know, like that was always kind of fascinating to me. So the partnership for me was kind of organic. It wasn't anything I had to think about. Like I, I knew we had jobs that kind of helped each other out and, and, yeah. you know, respect in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Cause not everybody gets that, which is okay. I always respect, you know, that to some people we will always be interlopers. I get that. And I try to respect that. Not everybody's interested in the in the dance, if you will. Right. And that's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. It's allowed. Jackie is talking to us because she is, one, because she's the friend of the show, but two, because she has a new podcast series, Raja, that I've just fallen in love with called The Icons Club, where she has interviewed NBA luminaries like Dr. J. Michael Jordan got an appearance on here. I, I didn't, you know this, Raja. Michael Jordan don't answer the phone for nobody. Don't, don't answer the phone for nobody. Don't call nobody. None of that. And Jackie got a call. I worked. I worked for the man. I was under contract with his team, and he lived across the hall from me at one point in Miami. And he would. And I never spoke to him. So yeah, I know how hard that is. <laughs> so, so <laughs> her latest <That's> episode <laughs> is uh, detailing the um, the relationship between Kobe and Shaq throughout their run with the Lakers and also how they've been, you know, after they've both retired and things like that. I wanted to ask you, Jackie, what was the biggest thing you learned during that, during the reporting of the piece and the reporting of this episode that you probably didn't know about these two? Well, it's funny because so when Kobe was young and I covered those, those Laker teams, you know, he just was really trying hard to fit in. He's 18 years old. He's not really even driving yet. He's not old enough to order a drink. He can't rent a car. And, but he thinks he's all that because he's Kobe, right? He believes in himself and he's trying to impress upon these, this older team that's got Shaq on it that eventually has Brian Shaw and Rick Fox and, you know, we can name all the guys on it. Um, and, but he doesn't care. He's going to be Kobe and he's going to do things his way. And of course, it was a pretty tough come down for him because they're having none of it you know, none of it at all. And so the the story we open with in this particular episode is Shaq used to rap on the bus. Shaq had a, a platinum rap album, you know, Shaq <laughs> Diesel. He was, he was, so he would try to get everybody to freestyle on the bus and Kobe would kind of sit there and watch. And so then he goes home and he starts practicing because he like, he's only going to do it if he's going to be great at it. Right. Because that's Kobe. So the next time on the bus, he starts doing his rap, except for it's rhymes perfectly and it's in tor- perfect rhythm and they're all like yeah no bro we're calling yeah shenanigans nope uh-uh and yeah. he's going no it's off the dome and they're all like yeah no you're not so <laughs> i think people people forget because kobe was one of the greatest of all time and became this larger than life figure both in sports but just culturally i think we all forget in the beginning it was really hard for kobe go back and look at his stats as a rookie they're not that 
I mean, he did. Do you realize he started for the West All Star team before he started for the Lakers? So, like, the fans voted him in, but the coaches didn't even think he was worthy of starting. So, when I look back on on that whole dynamic, I think we forget sometimes how far Kobe had to go. And and you know, he and Shaq collided later. But remember, when he has those four air balls in the playoffs, it's Shaq that's wrapping his arms around him and saying. Hey, don't worry. Someday, you know, they're laughing at you now, but someday we'll be laughing at them because we're we're gonna we're gonna do this together, you know. Yeah, that's that that's really interesting. And I want to take it back just because I didn't I didn't get to talk to Jackie last time. I was listening to the to the pod and the the Dr. J um mm-hmm. episode. I was a first grader when they won that championship living right. in Chester, PA. Um, so that was just fantastic and and kind of the backstory there. I want to ask you though, Jackie, like on that, how, how hard is it to get guys like you've done this a long time. We get on here pre-pod and I'm going to tell a lot of stories. Then once the pod starts, I'll tell a lot, but not as many, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, sure, you know, in another arena, I might not tell any, how hard is it? How, how forthright, like how, how easy is it or difficult is it to get stuff out of these guys when you're doing this? Well, I think, I do have the benefit of hindsight with some of them. So my experience has been when you're in it with athletes and sometimes you have to say and write things that they don't like. That's hard, right? That's always hard. Nobody likes that. And it, it, sometimes it puts a little strain on the relationship. But what happens is over time, and I've been doing this <laughs> over 40 years, over time, then they have a chance to sit back and say, was she fair? Did I like her? Was she good at what she did? And so, you know, you mentioned Michael. Logan. I think Michael just had time to sit back and, I mean, Michael and I had our moments during his career. We were both young. I mean, I was really young when I was covering Michael Jordan. I was in my twenties, you know, so maybe in thirties, but anyway, I think then they have a chance to say, yeah, you know what? In in retrospect, I kind of like where she went with it. I didn't always agree with her, but I, yeah, I trusted her. And so for the older guys, for me, it's always you, you make the call and you you say, huh, I hope they'll call me back. Sometimes they don't, you know, and yeah. you say, OK, well, those guys decided either I'm not interested or, yeah, maybe she wasn't my cup of tea. So thankfully, you know, like Dr. J, someone that I really didn't cover closely because by the time he retired, I was still pretty young. I really wasn't covering the NBA regularly. So I've only gotten to know Julius in his post life through Hall of Fame events, which I often go to. So I was really thrilled that he called back because... I think he's probably the most underrated, one of the most underrated superstars of all time because of the way he mentored young people and because of how he revolutionized the game, the way he played the game. And I think he gets lost in the shuffle sometimes because we get really focused on Magic and Larry, which came in the midst of him and then right after. That was just a made-for-television movie, right? Celtics versus Lakers, black versus white, all those things that went into it. And I think people forget that the Sixers-Celtics rivalry was every bit as good as the Lakers rivalry, maybe better because they played each other four times a year. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was fascinating. And I, like again, because I was there in Philly, my mom's from Philly. Like I I was a Dr. J fan. And and you kind of touched on it in the in the pod. I'm sure we'll go somewhere else with this. There have been some great pros in the, in the NBA. Like I, I've been blessed to play with some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've, seen, I've I've admired someone from afar, but in terms of overall grace and like just regalness, right? Th- nobody did it like Dr. J. No, still to this day, I'm not a stand of many people, Jack. Like if I saw Dr. J right now, I mean, I yeah, 
I'd yeah. ask for an autograph. And you know, it's funny that I forget, I think it's Walton that makes that point somewhere along the way in this podcast that if you want to know who the person everybody admires the most and likes the most, just look at the amount of people that asked Dr. J to present them at the Hall of Fame. Like he's in the double digits. He's just that guy. He's the one that everybody turns to. And he's the one that extended a hand. And everybody has a different way of doing that. That's sort of the premise of this entire pod is that uh, this series is that all this information, all this player empowerment, all the things that you're seeing happening today's athletes with, with Steph and Durant and Giannis and LeBron, all of that was created by the hard work of guys like Wilt and Russell and, and, and Dr. J. And everybody had their own way of passing along their secrets, right? So Dr. J, he'd just call you up and say, if you need anything, I'm here, you know? Jordan, less apt to do that, did it with a couple of guys, but expected them to follow up. And of course, Kobe did getting back to Kobe, called him at all hours of the night, calling him at 2 a.m., asking him all this stuff. And Jordan's lying in bed afterwards, as we as we note in the uh, episode, saying, why am I telling him all this? Because, you know, Jordan was very close to the rest. Am I going to regret telling this kid all my secrets? And, you know, the answer was no. I think he, he derived great pleasure from it, as it turned out. Yeah, it, it was interesting to, to, to uh, hear about Dr. J's influence on the league. Obviously, we know the dunks, we know the fros, we know um, Rucker Park and all those things. But I like Raja. I was uh, pretty um, eye opener. Was the uh, the mentorship, and you know, we talk about um, you know how Michael Jordan mentored Kobe behind the scenes, but we don't really talk about a lot how Dr. J was there for you know Mike in a lot of ways. What was that relationship like um, during that time? Because that's not something that really gets publicized. We know that that Mike idolized Dr. J, but we don't really know about the relationship. What did you learn about that relationship over the course of this reporting? Well, and so one of the things that Michael looked at when he saw Dr. J, aside from all the things you just mentioned, was, all right, here's a black man in America in the late 70s and early 80s, and he's actually selling stuff. Because remember now, back in the day, Madison Avenue was like, yeah, black athletes don't sell. Uh, no, they, they're not even going to take your call because they will, we, we can't get our consumers to buy it. But Dr. J was different. He, that wasn't true with him. He could sell things. He was a pitch man. But then beyond that, so he starts pitching Coca-Cola, but that's not good enough for him. Then he goes back and he buys his own bottling plant. So he's not just a black pitchman. Now he's a black owner of a company. And he and his partner, they were they were one of the top minority-owned companies in the country at that time. So Michael Jordan's looking at that and saying, yeah, 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 that's what I want. Yeah, I can, I can wear Hanes underwear and I can sell Gatorade, but I want ownership. I want my own brand and all of these things. And so I think Dr. J paved the way for him, which Jordan very, you know, is very explicit about in this series. But I, I just liked the way Dr. J extended a hand to everyone, not just, you know, you would expect him to do it with his own guys, like Barkley. You know, he and Moses Malone are like, yo, Chuck, lose those cheesy sweatsuits, man. You look stupid. You know, let's go buy you some suits, right? You'd expect him to do that for his own guys. But he, he extended that hand well beyond guys that were wearing a Sixers uniform. And that's why I think this club, this Icons club is so important. Like Bill Russell calling up Isaiah Thomas after he throws the ball away and um, Bird intercepts it and they win that game. You know, Isaiah doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's telling his wife, no calls. I'm not taking any calls. And then she's like, no, 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 you're going to take this one. He's like, I told you. She said, get on the phone. And it's Bill Russell saying to him, all right, man, you're better than this. Just get back on the horse. You're going to be okay. 
keep on going. And as Isaiah says, I don't get to talk. I just listen. And then Bill Russell hangs up. So the fact that those guys will do that, Bill Russell never wore a Detroit Pistons uniform. We all know that. But, but it's bigger than that, right? It's bigger than that. What a small fraternity when inside mm-hmm. of a very small fraternity. That's pretty it cool. It is. Yeah. That's, that's the truth. And it's really weird how you get in. Like we have a whole episode on guys that should be in, but maybe aren't just because the public doesn't warm up to them or their peers don't warm up to them or like your guy, Tim Duncan, right? Tim Duncan, he should be the vice president of the club, but you know, Tim, he tried coaching for a year. He's like, no, man, I don't, I don't want this, you know, return to center. I'm not interested. (laughs) We'd love to have you in the club, but thanks. I'm going to pass, you know, I'm not interested. So he's not in the club, not because they don't want him or that he doesn't belong because you have to want to be in the club too. So it was it was um, interesting. I want to bring this back to uh, to Shaq and Kobe really quickly. Was there? We always talk about the mutual respect in the with them, even when they were arguing. When do mm-hmm. you think, in your mind, when do you think it got untenable, and why would it get untenable? Because I do, I know that it happened with you know with Kobe's case in twenty oh three, but right. before that, it seemed like the season they were in a cool space. What what was the the what was when did it go to the point of no return in your eyes, Jackie? Well, I think it's pretty simple. Kobe, you know, they won championships together, but Shaq was the MVP every time. And Shaq was the alpha. Shaq was one, one, and Kobe was trying to be one, not even one A. That's not good enough for Kobe. Kobe was the alpha. He wanted to have his own team and he started getting better. And Shaq was still good, but Shaq was getting older. And then Jerry Buss had to make a decision. And I think near the end, too. They had this big blowout meeting that we talk about in the in the episode, uh, and it was two thousand that two thousand three season. And Shaw's retired, and he's scouting in Oakland. He gets a call from Devin George. that says, "You better get down here. Shaq's going to kill Kobe, man. Like you got to get here." Brian Shaw, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, Oakland, Brian California. Shaw. Yeah, <laughs> right. We love B Shaw. But anyway, so they and what what's happened at this point is Phil Jackson was smart. He understood that Shaq was a big guy that took a, a you know a terrible beating during the course of the season. So he used to tell Shaq, "Take the summer off." You don't have to, I don't even care. You don't have to, you know, train, just take the summer off so I can have you healthy for when it matters. Well, here's Kobe in the gym, obsessive, right? 16 hours a day or whatever the heck he was doing. And he's like, I don't get that. That isn't right. You're not doing everything you can to help us win. And the truth was the two of them never hung out together. Never outside of the game. They were not buddies. They were not going to clubs together. They were not hanging out together. So I think what happened was, he thought Shaq should have been in better shape. Shaq had some injuries, felt he should have taken care of those during the offseason. And Shaq's like, this little kid, he doesn't understand. This is my team. Well, it really wasn't anymore. It was 1-1A one one or 1A and 1A. It had gotten to that point. And I think that was difficult for both of them. And then Kobe had all the power. So he finally said, it's me or him. And he had his little flirtation with the Clippers. And Jerry Bush, you know, Jerry Buss moved Shaq along and kept Kobe. So yeah. those are two completely to know both of them. They're two completely different people. I couldn't mean, be any more yeah. different, could yep. not be any more different. And, you know, I think what, what happens is like, you know, as time passes with Kobe, people for Kobe was a prickly dude, man. Kobe was, was, you know, was. A, a hell of a competitor, hell of a player, all of that. Like, you know, I wound up being good friends with them, respect the mm-hmm. hell out of him, but could be prickly. Um, yep. I have a question for you, uh, Jackie, about that. You, you said when he came in, you know, and all the vets are there, and he wants it now, right? And mm-hmm. we know that's not always how that works, right? 
and there's that kind of resentment from the older dudes, you're going to pay these dues. Right. Did they give you any insight into when it was that as kind of a collective, they say, oh shit, yeah, it's going to be his. Well, you know, it's funny. I think part of the problem was they already knew that, Raja. He did that workout for Jerry West, that private workout at Inglewood yeah. High School before he was drafted. And, you know, Michael Cooper, who was 40, but still in unbelievable shape and still a great defensive player. And he's checking that kid and he's like, oh, shit, I can't stop him, you know? So right. I think the word was already out. You know, I think okay. they all knew he was going to get there, but he wasn't there yet. He took too many shots, you know, he wasn't collaborative. That So the talent was always there. It was, can he be a good teammate? When's right. he going to learn how to be a good teammate? And as you know, it took Kobe a long, long time, just like it took Jordan a really long time. Some would argue Jordan never got there, right? right. And mm. some would argue probably the same about Kobe. But I thought what was so interesting about this those two guys was if you, if you start at the beginning, you would have said that who's going to be the one that's going to be the mentor down the line to all these young players. I would have put all my money on Shaq because he was so gracious to the older players. He was a great teammate. Everybody loved playing with Shaq. You know, he got along with everybody. And yet when it was all said and done, when Kobe's career ended, he started the Mamba Academy yeah. started that academy, started inviting guys like Jamal Murray and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, really, you know, entering, like showing him all, showing them all his secrets. And then I asked Shaq, it's the dialogue, the exchange is in the episode. So Shaq, which young kids have, you know, which young big men have come to you and asked you, you know, to help you mentor him? And the answer is none, zero. That's fascinating. That. Yeah, it really is. That. It really yeah. is. I, I wonder, I mean, I'm sorry, but I just wonder out loud as you're saying that, like, you know, Shaq's had these things with some of these bigs where Kobe didn't really, you know, Kobe didn't say anything about guys that were compared to him really in a negative way. Right. Shaq's always bristled and kind of had that, like what he did to Dwight in the media, yeah. kind of mm -hmm. what he, and so I wonder if they don't approach him because that's what kind of he's put out there, you know? Well, he also, as you guys know, is a very highly visible TNT personality that has his own segment that makes fun of people, right? <laughs> so like if you're, if you're like turning on the set and you see him like, rat, you know, you're like, well, F him. Why am I going to go to him? So yeah. I think that's all part of it. But I, I think they're missing out. I think he has a lot to offer, not just how to handle yourself as a basketball player and, and you know, how to turn left and right and how to operate in the post, but how to market yourself. I mean, think about it. The guy played I don't know. When's the last, I can't remember how long ago Shaq retired, but he's everywhere. Okay. So everywhere. he's everywhere. Just like Charles, like Charles and Shaq, they've nailed it. And you'd think every young player would be interested in how to market themselves that way. And to, but, but to be fair, those two guys are hilarious. I mean, they are <laughs> so funny and I'm talking not just on screen, off screen. Like I, I went to do a story with them when I was still at ESPN on big men, and how the, the death of the big man, which of course now we've had this great resurgence, which makes me very happy as a former big woman who played center and power forward. Very happy to see yeah. the post, very happy to see post playback. But anyway, that's an aside. But when I was interviewing them, I had to fly out to Atlanta to get them both for this story because we were doing it on camera. And the stuff off camera was so damn funny. The problem is we couldn't use any of it because every other word was an expletive. But yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just incredibly quick-witted and funny and real down to earth, you know, both of them. So there's great appeal in that. And yet none of these young players, you know, he was, I'll tell you in that piece we did, he was really tough on Joel Embiid, for instance, he didn't think Joel should be shooting threes. 
And I was like, Shaq, if you were playing today, you'd be shooting threes. Because you know he would. Damn right, you know 100%. He, he wanted to be a point guard, too. He had the moments in in, in, in all-star games and things yep. like that. Rob, Ra, what was it like being a Shaq's teammate? What was it like being in a locker room with him? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, like, when Shaq got to Phoenix, I'll touch on the, he is hilarious, but let me first touch on, like, when he first got there and some of our conversations, you know, on the back of the bus revolved around how I could be better. You know, I'm only, I can only assume he was doing that with other younger players. I wasn't really mm-hmm. young, but... I was a star by no means. And so he was talking to me about how his presence could help me be better. And then kind of showing me how like using him could make me a more effective shooter and being able to play off of a big. And when that double team comes and so there was a wealth of knowledge, not just about being a big, you know, just right. he, he was helping me at the two guard position um, defensively things that I could do to funnel people at him. We didn't have a big center at the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were essentially on islands cause like Mari was great, but he wasn't blocking shots. And so there was just a wealth of information that Shaq had for, for me personally. Um, in terms of like the comedic genius that is Shaq, um, <laughs> I could go on and on, but I'll just tell a story. We came in one morning. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what happened the night before, but I was like cranky. I, don't, I came in and everybody was like huddled around. Like, what the, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Let me get over there. And they're like, Shaq's got his phone and there's a sighting of Sasquatch in the Arizona desert. <laughs> Right. And I'm like, what the fuck? What are you talking about, man? But no, it is real footage of this big shadowy creature in real Phoenix desert. Like kind of like it looks like Bigfoot. And then as we watched it, we're like, that's you, dude. He went out there and filmed that. Shaq Squatch. (laughs) Shaq Squatch was roaming around Phoenix. He's just hilarious, though. (laughs) He is so funny. Do you know when he was in Boston and, you know, he was kind of near the end then, although I would argue they were going to win the championship if he hadn't blown out his Achilles because his the plus-minus numbers with him on the floor were incredible, but he unfortunately got hurt. But he was kind of bored there. He didn't know a lot of people. So he started doing these treasure hunts. He'd, like, take two tickets to the game, and he'd leave clues, and then he'd hide them somewhere, like, behind the Red Arback statue or, like, he had the whole city looking for Celtics tickets. Yeah, he's, (laughs) he's the best. I wrote a book with him. I had so much fun doing that book. It was really fun. Really what was it like it. doing that book with him? What was it? How was so it? So it kind of worked out because he was in Boston and he had signed a two-year deal and they were, you know, Doc kind of read him the riot act. Like, you got to be, you're not, a, you know, you're not the star of this team anymore. Like, Shaq, he gave him the talk, right? And Shaq's like, no, I got it. I got it. I'm going to fit in. I'm, you don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be great, whatever. And um, so they people are really excited about it. And uh, he was living in a town called Sudbury, renting a house. And I lived not far from there. So we were sitting one day and he was just telling me all these funny, you know, he's just being so funny. And I'm like, we should do a book. He goes, I said, I know you've done some, but like, let's do another one. Like we'll do like your year in Boston. This will be fun. He goes, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. He said, I'll be here two years. So we'll report it all this year and then we'll have it come out. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. This will be fun, you know? And, but what happened was then he got hurt and then it became apparent this was going to be it, you know? So we had to kind of, speed everything up, which was not fun, but you do what you got to do to get it out. And so I was actually there with him in Orlando when he announced his retirement, you know, cause, yeah. uh, that, that Achilles people, people were a little unfair about it. I felt people thought he was, you know, he could have played and they were, they were, he was getting shot up with, you know, cortisone and they, he did everything he could. And, and as you guys probably remember, he had surgery following that. He had like, he has like a scar like this long on his Achilles. So Ironic, isn't it, that both he and Kobe, the Achilles, did them both in? 
Yeah. An Achilles. Shaq hit me. So Shaq, when Shaq got to Phoenix, um, I mean, I think this has been reported. I don't think I'm breaking. He he like gifted Amari a, a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. Right, right, yeah. Like it was like, it was he crazy. He was a generous he, guy. Very oh, generous. he was. He just came in and he was like, uh, great. And so back to like him funneling me, funneling people. I, I It might've been Kobe where I kind of, you know, I'm reluctant to say I pushed him anywhere, but like right. Kobe beat me somewhere and I'm like trailing him. And Shaq was back there. The only other presence I've ever had like that was kind of Dikembe. Mm. And Dikembe, Dikembe like cut me one game inadvertently with his elbow as I was defending. Mm. Well, I just remember getting to the rim, getting ready to lift off to try to block a shot. And then it went black. Uh, and I was gotcha. like, oh, Shaq came across to block it and had clipped me with his elbow. Just, Eesh. I don't even think he felt it. But I right. went night night. I was asleep. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, he was that big and just, you know, that yep. physical and he was amazing. Yeah. You know, you talk about the cars. When he um <laughs> when he got to the magic, he uh wanted to buy himself like a car. He bought his dad a car, his mom a car, and he's buying a house. And his 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 financial advisor's like, slow down. He goes, No, I have like whatever it was, a million and a half. And he goes, No, no, you only have nine hundred thousand dollars. The rest of it goes to taxes. Like, let's put you on a budget. But <laughs> so anyway, he goes in one day to a Bentley dealership. And he sees, he's looking at these beautiful Bentleys, you know, and this guy's in the store and he goes, I'm, I'm buying that one. So he's like, well, I'm buying two. So he bought two Bentleys. The other guy was Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was buying a Bentley. <laughs> and then, so he says, well, I got to buy two because I'm Shaq. So he bought two Bentleys, sawed them in half and turned it into one big ass Shaq Bentley. Like who does that? Who does that? Where was Uncle Rome? Was Uncle Rome around, Jackie? Oh, yeah. He was always around. Uncle Jerome. Rome. Best. Yeah. He's the best. The best. Shaq, Shaq owes him a lot. I'll tell you. He, he's the one that said to Shaq, like, too, when Shaq first came to the league, he goes, you want to be Dr. J? Why don't you start dressing like him? Uncle Jerome. Mm-hmm. Uncle Jerome's also, when Shaq didn't make the dream team, Uncle Jerome's the one that said to him, you know, because they, they took Leitner and Shaq's complaining and I'm blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, but that white boy, he took your, he, he handed you your lunch, not once, but twice. So <laughs> Uncle Jerome. you better be quiet. <laughs> oh, hey, Uncle Jerome didn't play, man. He was a cool yeah. ass cat. Yeah. I love Uncle uh, Jerome. Big fan. What did, uh, Roger, what was it like playing against them two, Shaq and Kobe in the 01 finals? Because you caught them at like, you caught them at their peak. Well, you sure did. That? Yeah, that was just, <laughs> you caught them at I mean, <laughs> it's tough, right? Because like I had the misfortune of it, but it actually, like it was, it made my career. So like I got mixed mm-hmm. emotions about it. Dikembe right. was uh, defensive player of the year that year. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And, you know, we had went through the Eastern conference. It was a tough, tough run, but we hadn't seen anything like Shaq. No. And they hadn't really implemented that dislodging rule yet. It was put in right after that. Because if Is you go so? back, huh. yeah, if you go back and watch, no, I'm sorry, the offensive, not, not dislodging defensively. I'm talking about the offense, just barreling through someone's chest, like taking that, oh, okay. that right. elbow. Because Shaquille O'Neal, uh, I mean, I never corroborated this, but I know it had to be his game plan because I've watched the games over and over. It looked like his game plan was just to try to fold Dikembe Mutombo in half. Like, <laughs> do, do you know? Like Dikembe, he was, Dikembe was a big, big, is a big, big dude too. A He's huge a man. Big, yeah, he's a big guy. Shaq just went about his business like that. And then Kobe... Um, didn't say a single word to me the entire, the entire series. And I, I mean, clearly I was just coming off of a 10 day, so he had no idea who I was and I wasn't talking, but most of the people I had played against up until that point had a little bit of chatter about him, just a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, or you'd hear him saying something like Kobe didn't say a shit. He just, 
he was just coming after you, right? Like singularly focused, um, yep. trying to In come after lane. you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. He had a lot to say later, but yeah, it's funny when I think about Shaq, I think about um, you know him within the hierarchy of big men. He's obviously the most dominant, but it seems like he has like a complicated relationship with you know he the big men before him. You know, I know he's had stuff where he's talked, spoken out against Bill Walton. I also know he's spoken out. Um, detailed in, in your icons club episode where he where kareem and him and shaq right. didn't get along at least early on and there's some a backstory to that which we could get into it to your podcast uh talk about in your podcast but what was his relationship with other guys is it something that he uh, seeked out and was disappointed when certain big guys just didn't reciprocate or how how did he go about trying to forge a relationship with big guys like wilton and Bill Russell and a Kareem and, and Walton and all these guys. And what ended up happening with all those relationships? Well, I think Raja can tell you this. Shaq's really sensitive, like super sensitive. He really is. He takes stuff personally and he has a hard time. I think when criticism comes. So in the early going, Russell was great to him. He and Russ were amazing. Spent, Russ spent a lot of time helping him, talking with him about stuff on the court, a lot about social justice, because that was important to Russell and, you know, for how Shaq should find his voice in that realm any way he saw fit. Uh, so, but then, you know, he and Russ had their ups and downs too. So I think for Shaq, the Kareem thing, he really wanted to get to know Kareem. He didn't, what he didn't know, the backstory you're referring to is, you know, when they did the, uh, famous Reebok commercial when he says, don't fake the funk on the nasty dunk. Right. And, and, um, Walton and Russell and, and uh, Kareem and Wilt are all like in the secret room. It's like, to me, it was the secret icons club. You know, Wilt really was probably the closest to him. If you wanted to compare Shaq to someone, I would compare him to Wilt. Personality, mm -hmm. strength, had other interests, was not singularly focused like Kobe or Russell. Um, but for whatever reason, Wilt, you know, he was cordial to Shaq, but really wasn't, didn't go out of his way. And, uh, and Shaq wasn't the kind of guy that was going to chase after someone like Kobe he tracked you down. Like he tracked you down. Like he would not let up with Jordan. He's calling them all. He's calling Larry Bird on the golf course. He's going down to Houston to have a key melange and show him, show him how to beat smaller guys in the post. That's just not Shaq's style. Shaq's kind of singular in that just like, if you want to give me some advice, I'd love to hear it. I respect what you've done. I'm not chasing you, you know? Now, the thing about Shaq, like George Mikan, he'd go to Minnesota. George Mikan would be there every every game. Hi, Shaq. I'm George Mikan. And after a while, Shaq's like, I know who you are, man. There's a drill named after you. Like I, I'm, I'm, you know, he would show his elders great respect. In fact, he paid for George Mikan's funeral when George Mikan passed. So he has a great regard for the history of the game. But I think for him, he, I, I just he's a little sensitive to criticism, and I think it probably colored his view of of these other guys sometimes. And maybe he had a little hard time getting past it. I'd be interested in what you think of that, Raja, you know? No, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head kind of, you know, sometimes those biggest personalities, you know, it's, it's our, it's our, our mechanisms, right? We're, we're, right. we're born with them. It's the way to kind of deflect. Um, you know, when Shaq came to us and, and this, I don't know that it paints the picture, but Shaq came to us kind of in the same mindset where you were talking about with doc. Um, at least that's kind of what, was said yeah. to us and kind of the way he approached it. And 
what happened was we didn't win right away. Right. Right. And so I had a front row seat to see Shaq like internalized that, like, but it wasn't on Shaq because Shaq was brought there to kind of be a, you know, a, a piece to help us get over the hump. But Steve was the engine and Amari was the right. engine and Shaq was going to help, but Shaq took all of that on himself. And so, you know, we, we had to, and rightfully so, like now we got to start putting the ball into Shaq. Like things change because Shaq was like, shit, you know, I, this is look, this is on me. So now I got to get us out of this. And so, you know, he approaches a lot of stuff like, like that. I would love to see Shaq. And I've always said this of all the players that I've seen, um, especially bigs, if a young Shaq with the athleticism and just the overall physical gifts that he had, plus he was brilliant. Like he, some he of his passing, so he's really yeah. smart. He really if is. he were trained like a big today is trained, Oof. oh my God. No oh my God. He wouldn't have put on all that weight. Like it, nope. he put the weight on on purpose, right? Because you're you're banging with yeah, two hundred killed, yeah, yeah. So like he wouldn't have done that, and his skill set would have just been, it would have been incredible. And he could have shot the three. There's no doubt in my mind. No yeah. doubt, no uh, doubt. Would it, would he, Jack? I know you can't really compare Shaq to a, a big of today's era, but if he were playing in today's era, would he have three pointer? Would he have? What would you? What are the attributes you think Shaq would have had if he would have played in this? playing against Giannis and, and getting switched on to like all these guys. Like how, how, what would happen? I just think he and Embiid would have been a perfect, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be great to see he and Embiid <sighs> yeah. going at it because they both, and I think Joel sometimes gets a little sensitive about what's being said about him. I, I think they're similar in many, many ways. And I, I don't think he likes that. So I apologize, Joel, but I think they <laughs> have some similarities, you know, and, uh, Joel, I remember when Joel started shooting those threes, I'm like, well, this is dumb. And then I'm like, no, no, come on, be a 21st century journalist, you know? And yeah. <laughs> and then you all of a sudden realize, like, he shoots it at a really good clip. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, who's going to tell him not to shoot threes? Right. He looks yeah. better shooting threes than some of those. And both have the post moves that are of a traditional big, too. They do. Right? Yeah. They do. Yeah. yeah, this has been a great year for Carl Anthony Towns. Great year It really for has. It I really think everybody's has. super happy about that. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected. An inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue. A surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland. Watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being. Present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. Who would you think of right now? We're in the, we're about to get into the postseason um, yep. right now, and I think you know as I look at you know the seventy fifth anniversary season, it it always makes you want to reflect. And we're having it seems like we're almost at the end of an era. You know, bronze going into what year twenty, year nineteen, and then you got uh, Kevin who's going in. You know, to, I think he's in year fifteen, which is weird to consider. And then right. you have Giannis, and you have all these guys. Who do you think, when it's all said and done, out of this crop will be in, in the Icons Club when, you know, when we, when we, if we have to look back in 15, 20 years? Who are the ones, the guys that define this right. era of basketball? Well, LeBron's already in. Steph's already in. And Durant's already in, in my, my opinion. I don't think mm-hmm. it's even a question. And yep. Giannis, I think the way we describe him in episode eight, which has not dropped yet, I don't think, we call him an icon under construction. Because mm. I think that's what he is. I, I have no doubt he's going to, you know, he's just a, like his maturation as a player has been so fun to watch because we, it's this old adage, right? The great players add something new every season. Mm-hmm. And he really has. I mean, he's, you know, you worried a little bit about his shooting, not so much now. You know, he was always a, a much, a very underrated passer. I thought the most, one his most underrated skill, I think he has great court vision. And as you guys know, um, you can't teach that. Right. I don't think you can anyway. I think you either have it or you don't. So it'll be, to me, it's interesting. Does Giannis stay with the Bucks his entire career and creates a dynasty there? Or like Steph Curry did? Or is he LeBron and decides, all right, I've won a couple from Milwaukee. Let me, let me go here now. Because he'll have the power to do whatever he wants. Now, you know, the, ne- the thing that's interesting to me is, Who's next? Like, who's the next? Is like John Morant what we think he is? Because that's really exciting to consider, right? Really exciting yeah. to consider. Mm-hmm. So who, like, is Luka Doncic ever going to get it right? Like, for the start of the season? Never mind the end. We get that. But like, like is someone, is it going to occur to him? Like, all right, I got to be Kobe Bryant during the offseason. I got to come in lean and stay lean and go and do this wire to wire. And then, you know, he's scary, isn't he? So yeah. can Embiid stay healthy? And, and really establish himself. I feel bad for him in that, you know, I heard him say the other day, what do I have to do to be the MVP? And I get why he's frustrated because in the past we always told him, hey, yeah, we wanted to vote for you, but you missed too many games. Well, he didn't, yeah. he didn't miss too many games this year. His problem is the other two guys, Giannis, but Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jokic is having a historic season, historic, with no help. His two best players didn't play this year at all. Yeah. And I mean, at all. And so it's not that Joel didn't do anything. He hasn't done anything wrong. It's just that Nikola Jokic has done so much right. So yeah. much right. He needed a little more separation between the two teams in terms yep. of record. Like yeah, for I Joel to true. really, he needed yep. that's for, like 49 and 47. Like you, you, if the Sixers were sitting in first place or second place in the East, I think, he, I think. He's, you know, you you're, know, you're probably right, Raja. And and how unfair is that to him? Ben Simmons didn't play the whole year, and then Harden comes in and really hasn't fit the way 
Yeah. Daryl hoped he would. So I feel for, I really feel for Joel. Um, but Giannis, he's having a historic year too. I mean, I think they're both on course to shatter the PER record for NBA players. I mean, That's Jokic awesome. is just a marvel. And, and it's so funny because I don't think he really cares about all of it which is probably all the more infuriating to a guy like Joel <laughs> who cares so much, you know? Um, but Jokic is such a beautiful player to watch. I mean, I'm glad I don't vote anymore. I would hate to have to vote this year. It's too hard. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, we're definitely in a new era of big men now where it's, it's all about the skilled big men. I think it's like it's all yeah. about the um, next evolution of Akeem Olajuwon. Like Akeem Olajuwon, mm-hmm. you put him in any era, he's there. You talked about it in the mid two thousands. You know when uh, when the big man they said it was dead. It was dead. It was dead. Was there? Did you sense this rebirth of big men back then? If I were to tell you, no, it's going to just come. The, the big men are back. Don't worry. It's just going to come in a in a reinvented way. What, what would you have? What would you have thought? Well, I was worried for big men because so I always use Roy Hibbert as an example. You know, Roy Hibbert was a monster. Right. He got himself fit. Remember, he did the nutritionist and everything and he was killing it. He was rocking it. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, yeah, all our new data. And so data plays a big role in this. The data told us, well, if you get in the post, you only average 0.87. I'm making this numbers up to per 100 possessions. Well, that's not that's not a valuable shot. Let's just give it to Steph out there or uh, uh, Steph Jr., someone that doesn't shoot it quite as well. And he's going to get me 1.4 points per 100 possessions. So all of a sudden, Roy Hibbert, there is no place for him in the NBA. Like overnight, yeah. I always felt so bad for guys like that because now Kevin Love, take Kevin Love. Kevin Love in Minnesota, big, strong guy in the post. Kevin Love is a smart guy, started to realize the way the game was going and said, I'm turning myself into a stretch four. Spent the summer working on three-point shooting, made himself a different, a different skill set, a different player the player that could thrive and win a championship with the Cavaliers, you know? And so it's kind of adapt or die. And, and maybe Embiid realized that, even though, I mean, I think the Sixers, I know Brett Brown encouraged him to shoot that three. Brett Brown could see what was happening and knew that he would be a great asset inside out. Giannis, I think same thing with Mike Budenholzer. Mike Budenholzer, is there any coach in the league that loves threes more than him? Because now Mike D'Antoni isn't here anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> even though they don't shoot as many, even though they don't shoot a ton, Mike Budenholzer gives everybody the green light. So those bigs are just smart enough to understand it's not enough to just be in the post. And that's where DeAndre Ayton, I'm, I'm really interested to watch him because I think he's a terrific young player, smart, funny, willing to learn. I can't yeah. believe they did not extend that contract. That was such a mistake, in my opinion, the Suns. But I'm interested to see, can he add the next, the next level of skill that he needs to become a player that's, that's you know really, really important? I think he's got it in him. I do too. I think, I you know, like, so if you say DeAndre Ayton and Rudy Gobert, I would tell you, I don't think Rudy Gobert can do that. Like he, right, he, right. you know, but he, he almost doesn't have to because he dominates so much defensively. Well, right. right? But, but like, if you're looking at his body, I'm just saying like, and right. the way they move, right. like, I think Roy could, and I would tell you like, whether or not he needs to, I think, I don't think Rudy has that type of fluidity maybe and, and mm-hmm. stuff to I the agree. way he moves. Um, I agree. I never thought of the, the Kevin Love evolution on the fly, like on, in Hard the middle do. of a career, that's yeah, that's that's yeah. difficult. From from um, at man, his I peak too, like he no. at his peak, he's oh, like, yeah. oh, I got to, I got to switch up. I got to, I got, I have to. Absolutely. So tell me, is is he the sixth man of the year, Kevin Love? That's 
That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I'm throwing he's some having... Kevin Love your way. Yeah. Actually, Kevin Love is in the podcast series, so he's on my mind. We just had a great interview with him. So he's mm. kind of on my mind. Not, he's just for, not just for statistics either, but for no. for for what he means to a locker room of a team that's that's just doing right. things the right way. Shout out to Kobe Altman and Kevin Love. Yeah. Shout out. Shout Kobe's, out. Kobe's really, I'm really happy for him. Deserved, well-deserved. Yeah. And, and JB, by the way. JB, yeah, JB was, he was on his last legs. If it didn't work here, I don't know he gets another head job. Yeah, absolutely. So. One of the, uh, when we talk about big man, and we talked about him briefly. One of the guys that I, I really am fascinated by in terms of big men is Kareem. Mm-hmm. Where the numbers suggest and his play, if you go back and look, he there's a not even a good argument, there's an amazing, great argument that he is the best player to ever play the game. You know, it is what it is. You could put him up against Jordan, and if you look at just take the names away, you'll probably take Kareem's resume. But you kind of put uh, him into the Enigmas Club, not necessarily the Icons Club. Was it hard to come to that decision? Because it, I mean, he is a guy that is oh, no, he's, one so of the he's faces in of the league. Yeah, so okay, he's in. Right. He's an. He's an so icon. He has car carry member of both, right? Yeah, right. Okay. But the problem, right. he's an icon for sure. But but he should be seated at the right hand of Russell, LeBron, and Jordan. And for yeah. some reason, uh, that's where I'd put him. But again, this goes back to how do you get in the club? And there's no like, there's no rules on the door before you come in. It's not like walking into a clubhouse where they say no cleats, take, you know, you got to take your hat off. It's not like that. It's, yeah. it's kind of murky. And so some of the things are, you have to be a great player. Obviously he's that the skyhook, most devastating weapon ever in basketball, in my opinion, win, got to win championships. He did that. He won championships at every single level, level, right? High school, mm-hmm. college pros. Very few people can say they did that. So the total pack, a social justice, oh my gosh, yes, incredible. And that probably hurt him because back in the day, you you make the kind of stance he makes, you don't get applauded like the dudes at the ESPYs. Right. You know, people are like, stick to sports, be quiet, we don't want to hear from you, you know, get death threats, things like that. So he's he's a big part of this empowerment movement. But here's the thing. The Icons Club is like every club ever known to man since the beginning of time. You have to be popular. Mm. If you want to be in the club, people have to like you. And people didn't like Kareem. Other players didn't like him so much sometimes. Even his own teammates at times were like, why are you so rude to these? Fans didn't like him because he gave yeah. he wouldn't give him the time of day. And GMs and coaches, when it came time to, you know, look at, hey, who should be the coach of my team? No one, no one was thinking Kareem. They're thinking Magic. Magic says, I think I'd like to be a coach. And four days later, he's coaching the Lakers, you know. That didn't happen for Kareem. And so I think he's one of the most fascinating and probably misunderstood icons of all time. And yet he brought some of that on himself. You know, the thing is, he's so intelligent. You look at him now, you read his Substack stuff. It's unbelievable. His stuff on social justice with the George Floyd and all that has been incredible. But for whatever reason, you know, he's not like Charles never won a ring. But ask, ask people, who would you rather have in your club, Charles or Kareem? Come on, man. (laughs) I've been at the bar with Chuck. He's popular. He is oh, popular. Yeah. Nah, it's, it's, it's lit. It's definitely it's a good lit. time. Chuck's a good time. He's, yeah. Chuck's one of the most generous people on the face of the earth, too. That's For real. For real. One of the defining moments of Kareem, no, I like, and I guess, and I think you were there, I, um, was the game two, I think it was the 85 finals when he, uh, the Lakers, it might have been 85 or 87, but the Lakers. No, 85. Bl- it's 85. 85? Yep. When the Lakers get blown out at the garden mm-hmm. 
they're calling the Lakers all types of names and things like that. They're saying, I mean, if it was now, we would be saying, you know, Kareem's washed. He's done. It's over. Right. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and he's, I think he scores like what, 37, 35. It just, it just, they, the, the game one was called the Memorial Day Massacre. And then Kareem says, nah, yep. well, we're going to go win this title. We're, I, I'm back. Yeah, it was a great moment. I know that story. What was that like from your vantage point, uh, seeing Kareem? Here's one of those stories where you need the you need the benefit of hindsight because we learn all the details after the fact, you know, years after the fact. That after that game, Pat Raleigh drags him into a film room and he starts playing all the lowlights of that game. And because Pat Riley thinks he's getting fired. If they lose that series in 85, Pat Riley never goes down as one of the greatest coaches of all time because the Lakers are firing him. That's I'm telling crazy. you right now, yeah. he's getting fired. So he brags them into that film room. And Kareem usually sits in the back of the film room. But that day, he's in the front row. Ramrod straight sitting in the front row because he's like, bring it on. Give it to me. I could take it. Let me have it. And that's what he did. That's what leaders do, right? And Magic is sitting right next to him. And, and Riley doesn't spare any insults on either one of them. He takes them both down in front of their teammates, criticizes them all. And then Kareem says to him, before game two, you know, Riley, you know how Riley is. Nobody else on the bus. No outsiders on the bus. Just us. And Kareem said, can you make an exception? I'd like my father to ride to the game with us today. And think about that. So his father walks on the bus. Kareem walks on the bus. They're sitting in the front row. Both of them sitting there, sitting tall. What a great message for your team. What a great moment for your team. This guy's going to take you where you need to go. So all that information was not available in the moment right? Not in the moment. Yeah. But when you look back on it, it was a turning point for Kareem, for the Lakers, for Pat Riley. And, and the other thing that I don't think he gets enough credit for is in 87, you know, he's nearing the end of his career and Riley goes to him and says, we're not featuring you anymore. We got to feature magic. This, this kid's unbelievable. It's, it's his term. It's his time. It's his team. And Kareem's like, okay. And Kareem does his thing. But, you know, Magic it's had to team. earn that though, right? Because Kareem sure was a guy that didn't just give respect to people like that. Magic had to go. How did Magic earn that? Yeah, but see, Magic is a pleaser. He wants everybody to like him. And, and I'm talking about the players on the team to the guy that, you know, uh, works at the, uh, at the dry cleaners up the street. That's just Magic wants people. He wants to be liked. He craves it. So when he was a rookie playing with Kareem, he went and got him the paper every morning. He got Kareem his hot dog. He showed him respect. Like, that's just how, that's how magic goes. You know, magic, magic's leadership style was not like bird or magic. I mean, bird or Jordan or some of those other, or Kobe, where he's going to, you know, punch Steve Kerr or, or criticize a teammate or no magic's the opposite. Hey, come on, man. We need you. Gives you a big hug. Come on. You're my guy. You know, magic's the guy that makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. And I think he was, I think he could do that with Kareem too. I think he did it with everybody. He did do it with everyone. I played, I was at Life College my first year at a, at a FIU, mm-hmm. trying to make the, the Atlanta Hawks roster, going to go to vet camp with them. So I spent the summer in Atlanta working out. Magic came through one day to play pickup with us, right? Mm. I ain't cheats. never met Magic Johnson. But yeah, Magic. He cheats. He's winning everything. But yep. <laughs> in the locker room afterwards, um, he was holding court. I mean, an entire locker room of people. And some of them were like me, where we didn't know him. I'm sure he knew right. some of the guys. But that locker room, which was Atlanta Hawks locker room, was now Magic Johnson's locker room. 100%. And it just held court for an hour. We sat around, listened to the shit talking, hung out, 
And that's what he did. I mean, that's what he did with my one, my first Incredible. introduction to magic yeah. was just that. You know, I, so I, just a few years ago, I did a, uh, Magic and Larry were doing a private thing for a, um, some kind of company. They hired the two of them to come in and like do a sit down for their, you know, God knows what they paid them. So anyway, they called me and said, can you be the moderator? And I'm like, oh, this will be a blast. Yeah, I'll do this. So anyway, we fly. It was in Florida. I'm there an hour early. Larry's there 45 minutes early because that's how we roll. Magic's not there. He's not there because Magic's always, always late. And Larry is furious, you know, <laughs> furious. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, we were going to keep these people waiting. And then, but then Magic walks in, my brother, Larry, and he's hugging him. And oh, tell me about, and you know, within five minutes, the two of them are laughing and smiling. And everybody's forgotten that Magic was late because he makes you feel like a million bucks. It's a great, great gift. It is that Irvin has. It is. It is a gift. One of my favorite stories. I noticed they had nothing to do with nothing, Logan, but I just need to say it. No, go um, ahead, go ahead. Hearing the chief, right? In that episode about Dr. J. I know, wasn't that something? Oh my God. I was surprised about that. I have hearing to be honest. Hearing the chief. That Robert was, yeah, Robert Parrish. That was really interesting. As he as he kind of details that that kind of famous Larry Bird and 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 Dr. J moment. That was really interesting to me. I had never heard that either. That was yeah. new. That was new. And so just for the, so for you guys who are listening, what we're talking about is um, it's kind of near the end of Mag uh, Dr. J's career. Larry's in the middle of an MVP season. He's just like, he was never better, honestly. He was probably at his peak. Yeah. And he, they're playing the Sixers. And, you know, Dr. J had been his rival. And, you know, they'd always gotten along okay, but he's just feeling it. And he is talking all sorts of smack. You can't guard me. Why don't you retire? I'll take your sneakers right now. You can go home. Mm -hmm. He really, really giving it to him. Right. And Dr. J's getting mad and he's also getting a little embarrassed, you know? So right. they get, they have to be separated once. And then the next time down, they kind of collide again. And, and Dr. J is pretty convinced that Larry's going to throw a punch. So he grab, goes to grab him. Of course, that's the famous photo of the two of them around their throat. And then what happens after that is Moses and Barkley come in and they're kind of holding, holding him. And Dr. J's getting a couple of free punches in. Now, Robert Parrish is Dr. J's opponent. He is Larry Bird's teammate. And he's just standing there. And so in this, in this episode, <laughs> so he's, I, <laughs> I said, well, well, like, what about that? And he said, you know what? There's kind of an unwritten rule. So we're talking about the club again, right? Larry and Dr. J are in the club. You don't do that to a guy in a club. You don't embarrass him like that. You don't. Yeah. And, and as Barbara Paris said, he deserved that whooping. Can't you That's just hear him say it? That's he deserved that whooping. That great low voice that I that love so much about Robert. And, and he said, I, I, would, I didn't step in because I knew he wasn't going to get, you know, they, if he really started hurting him. He said, but I just felt like Larry deserved that whooping. He, he crossed the line. He, he broke the rules of the club. I found that fascinating. I found like I use that word a lot, but that one was really, really interesting. Yeah, I was to me. surprised too. Caught me yeah. off guard. I want to get back to magic really quickly. When we talk about how, you know, you, you just use that example with with Larry, where, you know, Magic just flashes that smile and everything yeah. is all good. Uh, right. he's had an interesting relationship with the Lakers over the last few years, right? Where he is the GM. <laughs> um, yeah. and then, you know, he 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 leaves under wild circumstances then is now you know I, he still has genie bus's ear on on decisions but where do you see i don't where know if do that's you see true Magic's anymore place? i'm gonna I say I, I don't know if that's true anymore okay um, i think there was some damage done the way magic left the last time you know where do you see his relationship with the team right now 
Well, he's always going to be magic. And, yeah. and it'd be foolish of the Lakers to turn their back on him. Foolish. And think about it. Magic's one of the main reasons LeBron James came to L.A. He was the main recruiter there. He got him there. Yeah. Now, I think LeBron wanted to go anyway. But I think Magic played a major role in that. But I think that one was a little hard, I think, for the Lakers. The way he exited, you know, had some things to say about Rob Palinka. Um, he's never going to say anything bad about Jeannie. They're like brother and sister. I mean, they literally grew up together, really, mm-hmm. for sure. So there always will be a place for Magic. Always. But, but you know, like if I'm the Lakers and I listen to him on Get Up or whatever show he did the other day and he's, you know, taking us down, I'm just sort of like, where, where do you fit in all this, you know? What does Magic want right now from this? Like, is he does he feel like an outsider with the Lakers, no, or does he no, feel no, 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 so, never? Because never. It just, it's just interesting to hear him talk in the way that he. Because I rem, like he used. I know Magic always speaks his mind, but it always seemed like he would speak more glowingly of the Lakers prior to, um, you know, I guess over the last decade with them losing, he wasn't as glowing, but he has always been someone that built up the Lakers, and it seems like now he's, he's taking a lot more shots. I think he just tells the truth. I think he's like at a point in his life where like, oh, I'm just going to call it as I see it. Mm. And you know what? You can get away with it if you're Magic Johnson. Maybe not if you're Jackie McMullen or Logan Murdoch. Maybe Raja Bell. We'll have to see. I don't know about that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I just think you're Magic. You can, and you know, like it would be like if Larry Bird came out and had something to say about the Celtics, which of course at this point, what would you say except for wonderful things? But it's interesting to me, if you look back, like Jordan, I don't know what, connection he has with the Bulls at all, right? Because he's, you know, his his loyalties are elsewhere now. He's an owner of, of another team. Larry Bird, when he retired, worked briefly for the Celtics under Dave Gavitt. But then when they let Dave go, I think took that kind of personally. You know, Dave Gavitt was his guy and he hasn't been connected to the Celtics at all, right? His connection was all with the Indiana Pacers. So I wonder for these, you know, Dr. J, again, different, right? We talked about how magnanimous is, how well he's totally... 100% connected to the Sixers. I think I saw him and Iverson the other night, didn't I, at mm-hmm. some event? So, I mean, it's interesting how these icons going forward, um, do they maintain the relationships they had with their former teams? Like, I don't think Charles has been back to the Sixers in any capacity, has he? I don't know. And that's too bad. You know. you know, that's kind yeah. of too bad, you know? But I, re- I was, I mean, I have no insight into this with the Magic situation I haven't asked. But the way I read that, it's Magic, that era that like he identifies as a Laker, like he is a oh, Laker, 100%. right? You, yeah, it's not. Yeah. I, you're, you're a Laker, and I, I think what what bothers him the most is today's star, specifically as it pertains to the team right now, LeBron, AD. I don't think he thinks they do. I think mm-hmm. that bothers him. Oh, that's interesting. It's, yeah, when it's successful, right. when it's successful, who cares? Do you know what I mean? Right. But when it's looking as bad as it looks now. I think that bothers him somewhere deep down. But, you know, that's just my take on it. That's interesting, man. Well, before we get out of here, we have to – it's our Thursday episode, so we got to do a segment, a little segment we like to call Real One of the Week. Um, I will go first. My Real One of the Week is – I'm actually about to go watch him play after we wrap this podcast. But Tiger Woods. You know, it's oh, coming okay. back. You, I, I, I knew Raza was going to do it, so I had to like, I had to see. <laughs> I do, I had to go first. I knew he was going to do it. He was going to do it for all the, all the, all the OGs out there. And he was going to do it, but I'm going to go first. Tiger Woods, Masters. Let's see what's popping. Raza, <laughs> who's your ruin of the week, sir? No, <laughs> damn it. 
And he was he was even par. I was all set up. I was going to... Oh, man. I was going to do really good, too. He's one under through seven, by the way. Is um, he really? Yeah, wow. he is. There That's he is. amazing. I think for uh, him, it's going to be how it goes over all four days, though, right? Can he absolutely. hang in? Yeah. yeah. What's, he, what's he look like on number three tomorrow is going to be... Right. Gonna be on the 16th um, hole. Let's see. Real ones. All right. I'm, I'll give the real ones to um, a franchise that's near and dear to my heart. I believe a franchise best 63 wins. Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Mm. Like, I got a shout out to Jupes. I'm going to give a shout out to... Uh, to to everybody within the organization that that's played a hand in this, I think they deserve it. I hope they win a championship, and I'm excited for the Valley. So shout out to Suns and Suns fans, real ones. I like that, Coach Monty Williams. To my bet, yeah, Monty, he's awesome. So I'm gonna, I was gonna do very quickly Johnny Swim. If you haven't heard of them, looking up their new album is out. Heaven is everywhere is the single. The lead singer, her mom is one Donna Summer. Okay. Mm. It's a married couple. They're fantastic. But I thought I was, but if I'm going to do an NBA, all my love goes to the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, yes. Because, and, and I know Gerard Morant gets a lot of ink, but Jaron Jackson Jr., he's your defensive player of the year. Shout out to the Memphis Grizzlies. You heard, you heard wire it here. to wire, they're proving that they belong. And who is scarier five years from now than them? Man, Memphis I was, Grizzlies. I was in town. I was in Memphis a couple of weeks ago when the Nets were in town. I was, Reporting out a story, and man, what a basketball town Memphis is, dog. Yeah, it is a huh. special place. When they are on, because uh, Ja didn't play that night, and they still won, and the Grizzlies were, the, after the game, they all play whoop that trick and in unison. <laughs> the crowd was, whoop that trick, whoop. I was like, this is a beautiful environment. This is a great environment for basketball. I, <laughs> I want them to win a title. I hope that they win a title one day. Because if they win a title, the city of Memphis is going to be a, a utopian type place. It's like It was like OKC back in the day. You yeah. know? They, OKC had a vibe back in the day that was unbelievable. And they had a real Man. vibe. Oh, I love it. Um, also, I want to give a quick shout out to... Uh, to uh, you know, Raj is not going to do it, so I'll do it. Um, to a young Dia Bell who um, took a visit somewhere. Um, oh, bare, near and dear. my word. little homie, my little yeah. homie took a little his little. I don't know if it was official or unofficial to FSU. No, he's he's a baby, bro. These are all unofficials, man. Okay, all right. But, well, I, but, I, I I still want to get show love to my little homie though. So shout out to Dia Bell. Shout out. I appreciate that. You know how hard that was for me, bro. You know, like that's being in the Lions. Yeah, I'm a, say, I'm a Kane right? fan, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. gotta let him go where he's gotta go, though. That's gotta it. let him go. That's it. Auntie Jackie, peep this. Raja on back. To, he went to Utah a couple weeks ago, and his son took an unofficial visit to Utah. So Raja had to do the fake U sign for the uh, for like he had to do the fake U sign, <laughs> and not, it killed him. Now, it's not fake. Now, it's just different, man. Now, <laughs> now, now he had to go to FSU to go on go to the Seminoles, and now, like I don't, I can't. Shout out to Raja for just going through and just just living through this internal pain that he has to work through. So shout out to him for that. Love will make you do crazy things, bro. Oh, have Man. fun with it. It's it's over before you know it. Enjoy it. It's really yeah, a great yeah. thing. Enjoy no it. Doubt. I appreciate right. it. Man, so that has been another edition of Ruins. Thank you, Auntie Jackie, for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Really enjoyed it. 
We record Mondays and Thursdays, but in the meantime, make sure you check out first and foremost, make sure you check out Icons Club, the Shaq and Kobe episode. When's that coming out? I think that's Friday. Is it coming out Friday? You're asking the wrong person, man. I just write them. I don't know when they drop. (laughs) Make sure you check out the Shaq and Kobe episode coming out soon uh, on Icons Club. Make sure you also check out the rest of our Ringer NBA slate. That is Upside High. That is Group Chat. That is Weekends with Waz. That is The Answer. Don't have my notes in front of me, but make sure you check out Mismatch with KOC and Verno. And make sure you check out The Void with Kevin O'Connor. Follow The Void! And then make sure you check out, let's let's keep the propaganda uh, going, Raja. I don't know if you're paying attention yet. I don't know if you're ready to do it yet, but let's check out R2C2 with who, Raja Bell? Baleo legend, the Crest Side Clown, CC Sabathia, Tiger Baby yes. Fade off the tee right there. Very nice, middle of the fairway. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Man, make sure you Raja, also you're check natural, out. dude. You <laughs> are <laughs> natural. <laughs> make sure you check out one more, one more. Keep the propaganda going. Black Girl Songbook with who? Roger Bell. That's the town legend. That's the homegirl, Miss Danielle Smith. Mm, <laughs> we'll see you guys on Monday. Playing week. Holla. We ready to go.